0: Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning from the Word of God is in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. This was right after last week we talked about Jesus went to the temple, found the money changers, turned over the tables, and so this is right after that. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. That's good, right? But then you read the next verse, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. And then our uh, sermon text. We're back in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at... Pastor Butch is going to be preaching on verses 10 and 11. uh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities... You will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. That's really good, isn't it? Amen. Uh, that's the word of God. You Amen. may be seated. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Good singing, church. Good to be back in the pulpit today with you, or in front of you, not with you really. Uh, Ron, thanks for last Sunday, buddy. Man, and that kind of tees up this message today, um, as you'll see shortly. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your precious word. It's a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, more precious than, than diamonds, more precious than Treasure, and gold, and silver. It's literally your breath, the breath of God. Give us ears to hear this morning. Hearts to joyfully embrace what you want to say to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together today be pleasing, O oh Lord, in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, quick note before we uh, press on into verses 10 and 11 here. Uh, from last time we were in 2 Peter chapter 1, which was two, two weeks ago, right? Uh, we kind of ended that message with an emphasis on the quality of love. Remember, we were looking at the, at the list That Peter was telling us to supplement to our faith in verses uh, 5 to 7. And we said it ended with the quality of love. And I made a specific point to tell you that in the Greek, in the original Greek, uh, before the word love, agape in the Greek, was the definite article the. And we talked about that meant add the love. And we wondered why. The the was there, and I suggested that possibly this was talking about the love of God that the Holy Spirit has placed in our heart when he made our dead hearts alive, according to Romans chapter 5, okay? But, well, guess what? And I'm sure you Greek scholars already knew this, okay? Uh, I went back to the Greek text uh, again uh, as I was preparing for this message and discovered that all of the qualities... Have the definite article before them. So in the Greek, it would be like this verse, starting at verse 5 For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with the virtue, and with the virtue, with the knowledge, and with the knowledge, with the self control, and with the self control, with the steadfastness, and the steadfastness, with godliness, and the godliness, with the Brotherly affection and the brotherly affection with the love. Now, why is that? And I've been pondering that for the last two weeks. I had an extra week to ponder that, and, and I offer to you this morning uh, this reasoning. Uh, because these are not simply uh, mere human qualities drummed up in our own fleshly efforts. These are the specific, spirit-wrought, spirit-empowered qualities that come with the gift of true salvific faith. In other words, we are working out, as Philippians 2:12 and 13 talk about, we are working out what God is working in us as a result of our salvation. It's kind of like it's kind of like this is Pe- this is Peter's fruit of the spirit although it doesn't call it the fruit of the spirit but it's similar to that. The fruit of the spirit that we see in Galatians 5. Love, joy, faith, peace and all those things, okay? This is another list that we will see coming out of our reborn life. Does, that, does this make sense to you? Do you see that? In other words, we are working hard to add these qualities to our faith that was given to us so that we could believe in Jesus. But as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, it is the, it is the grace of God that enables us to do this, okay? We're working hard to supplement our faith, but it's the grace of God with us that enables us to do it. Because apart from God and apart from his empowering grace, we can do nothing, right? That's what Jesus said, right? John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I wanted to I didn't want to separate love out uh, incorrectly because all the qualities have the definite article before them. And I believe it's pointed us to the fact that these qualities will be evident in the life of a Christian because they come with the gift of faith. Okay. Does that, ponder that this week? I, I, I. I i offer that to you this this morning as hopefully a, an explanation of why the definite article is there, okay? Uh, man, Ben and Sarah L.A., good to see y'all today. I didn't know y'all were going to be here today. God bless you. I didn't mean, I, and I hate to put you on the spot there. You, could you stand up and give your testimonies right now? No, no, just kidding. Uh, no. What a, uh, looking forward to, to their future as husband and wife. Okay. Uh, all right, last time. We describe the diligent believer with five characteristics. And to introduce today's message, let's quickly hit those in a matter of review real quick. We, in verse 5, we said that the diligent believer, okay, and the reason we use the term diligent, the, the modifier diligent is because uh, one of the translations where, where in verse 5, it says, make every effort, another translation is in all diligence, be diligent to do these things. So, in verse 5, we see the diligent believer is not passive. He makes every effort to live out his or her faith, the faith that God has given them. He applies all diligence uh, to add these qualities to the gift of faith. Secondly, in verses 5 to 7, we saw that the diligent believer works to demonstrate his faith by portraying these characteristics that Peter tells us, beginning with. Um, virtue and ending with love. And I love what commentator Bob Utley said about that. He said this, The gospel is absolutely free because of the will of God, the finished work of Christ, and the wooing of the Spirit. In other words, the whole Trinity is involved. We're going to see more of that today. But once received, once the gift is received, it becomes a cost-everything daily discipleship. This is the paradox of the gospel. It is a gift, but also a covenant with privileges and responsibilities. The true gospel, the true gospel, the life-saving gospel affects the mind, heart, and hand. In other words, the totality of who we are. Now, let's unpack that quote. That's a great quote. Let's unpack it. In other words, we begin with this truth. We do nothing to gain or earn or merit our salvation. We do nothing to get into the family of God. God places us there through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a total gift of grace with every member of the Trinity involved. God the Father chose us by an act of His sovereign will before the foundation of the world. That's the doctrine of election. And that's what we're going to be talking about later on in confirming that we're of the elect. We want every believer Every that is a member of Rockdale Community Church to be assured that, they're, that they belong to God, okay? So God the Father chose us before the beginning of time. God the Son purchased us by the obedient shedding of his blood and atoning death on the cross after living a perfect life which qualified him to be our Savior. And then God the Spirit gave life to our dead hearts and irresistibly drew us to Jesus, gave us the desire to come to God. He didn't drag us kicking and screaming into the family of God. No, we wanted To come. We desired that with all that we are because He gave us a new heart, which comes with new desires. Okay? And we were born again, raised from spiritual death, given new life. Then, as a result of that new birth, we became members of the new covenant of which Jesus is our mediator, and we began a life of working out our salvation and supplementing our faith with these God-honoring qualities that Peter mentions. And as Utley said, it involves every part of us. It involves our mind, how we think, how we think. And we're learning to think biblically. We're growing in that. Romans 12, we are being transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Secondly, it involves our heart. Our heart, how we express emotions like joy, gratitude, grief, but grief with hope, sorrow for sin, a growing hatred of sin, etc., etc. But we can't stop there because our emotions are governed by how we think. That's huge. That's huge, okay? And in a very real biblical sense, the mind and the heart are not separated. They're not separated. Consider these texts from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18.15, an intelligent, you would think the next word would be mind, but it's not. The next word is, take a guess, heart. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge. The heart acquires knowledge. Proverbs 14.33, wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding. Proverbs 23:15, "My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad." There you see both the wisdom aspect of the heart and the emotional aspect of the heart. In other words, in Bible terminology, the heart is the core of everything that we are. And that's why we needed a new one. Because the hearts we were born with were dead, dead in trespasses and sins, not just sick, not just incomplete, dead, stone, stone cold. Our old unsaved and our old unsaved heart affected everything about us is what we call total depravity. Every aspect of our being was affected, and if you're still lost, is affected by your dead heart. So it involves our mind, our heart, and there's some overlap in heart and mind, okay? He said it also involves our hand. In other words, our service, our acts of service. The good work that God prepared for us, according to Ephesians 2.10. We delight in serving others, and we labor steadfastly for the glory of God, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15. So, the diligent believer is, works to demonstrate the faith that they've been given in the way they think the way they feel and believe and the way they serve the way they work the way they labor every part of us then in verse 8 we saw that the diligent believer lives an effective and fruitful life John fifteen eight. by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples your fruit of your life is the evidence of your new life Okay, it's the evidence of your new birth. Verse 9 tells us the diligent believer never forgets the cross. Okay, we haven't forgotten that we've been cleansed of our sins at Calvary. That's why we come to this table every Lord's Day to make sure we don't forget that. Not every day, every Sunday, sorry, every Lord's Day. And then finally, and this is where we left off last time. So we're picking up now, we've caught up, that's our review but we said, we mentioned it last time, the diligent believer is confident of his salvation and entrance into the kingdom. And that's in verses 10 to 11. This is, this is where we are today in our study, okay? So the goal of today is to help you, if you haven't already, is to help you confirm your calling and election or to make, as another translation says, make your calling and election sure. And basically what we're getting at is the doctrine of assurance, the assurance of your salvation. We want every member of Rockdale community to be confident in their faith. Young people, we, when you get saved, when you get baptized, and we, we want you to be confident No looking back. You're confident, man. You're pressing on and you're confident, without a doubt, that you belong to God, that you're His. Okay? Now, as we've learned, we've just come off of the month of October, Reformation month, and our reminder of the solas. And uh, as we know, the Reformation recovered a lot of biblical truth that had been lost or hidden during the Middle Ages, uh, first and foremost, of course, was the true gospel, gospel of justification by faith and the solas, which, again, we emphasized last month. According to Scripture alone, ultimate authority, we are saved by grace alone, total gift, no merit on our part, through faith alone because of Christ Alone for the glory of God alone. That was the heartbeat of the Reformation. That was what was recovered. That was the major uh, doctrinal issues that were recovered or brought back into the light during the Reformation. But in addition, the Reformation corrected many errors, such as buying forgiveness, the sale of indulgences. The teaching of purgatory, Uh, veneration of saints, worshiping saints, praying to saints. You know, uh, when Luther was knocked off his horse by a lightning bolt, he prayed to St. Anne. St. Anne, I'll become a monk. You know, uh, worship of Mary. Uh, The teaching that Mary was immaculately conceived, making her sinless as well. And a co-redeemer along with Jesus was to get to Jesus, you had to go through Mary. And they, they, they used the, the, the water to wine in John 2. You know, the people went to Mary. Mary, help us tell, get Jesus to do something. You know, and they, they twist that and make that. You got to go through Mary to get to Jesus. Uh, clergy not being able to marry. Man, I'm thankful for the Reformation. Man, I'm so thankful for the Reformation. Uh, but anyway... The world, bottom line, the world greatly needed the Reformation. And we are so thankful to God for what he did during that important time in history. Now, but another doctrine that was recovered that we want to add to the list today as a result of the Reformation was the doctrine of the assurance of a believer's salvation. The assurance of our salvation. Uh, you could call it eternal security. We don't prefer that phrase. But just knowing, knowing you're in, knowing you're part of the family, knowing you belong to God. Not having any doubts about that. That's sweet. That's sweet. That's precious. That's what we want for every, every believer. But the Roman church, before the Reformation, taught that you couldn't be sure. You couldn't be sure. That's why people are always coming to the confessional booth. Because if you died with unconfessed sin, your soul would be in danger of enduring years of, of purgatory at best or hell forever at worst. Assurance of sal- in fact, insurance of salvation was said to be arrogant and presumptuous. If you read Table Talk, you saw the article possibly last month by Michael Reeves on uh, justification and assurance. And he wrote this. Uh, re- regarding this subject. Assurance of salvation was damned by, the Ro- by Roman Catholic theology as the sin of presumption. It was an actual sin. To be sure of your salvation was a sin that you needed to confess. Isn't that amazing? I mean, aren't we thankful for the Reformation? He goes on. It was precisely one of the charges made against Joan of Arc at her trial in 1431. At that trial, the judges proclaimed this, quote, This woman sins when she says she is as certain of being received into paradise as if she were already a partaker of glory seeing that on this earthly journey, no pilgrim knows if he is worthy of glory or of punishment, which the sovereign judge alone can tell, end quote. Now, what kind of way to live is that? To go through your entire life not being sure where you're going to wind up. That is sad. That is sad. But throughout the entire Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, so-called, that's what the church taught. Praise God for the Reformers that, res- that God used to rescue us from these false teachings. Spurgeon counters this thinking with these words. We count it no presumption to say that we are saved, for the Word of God has told us so, In those places where salvation is promised to faith in Christ. The presumption would be in doubting the word of God. But in simply believing what he says, there is far greater humility than in questioning it. Yeah, so who's really arrogant, right? If you know the history of Martin Luther... Before God opened his eyes to the Gospels, Luther was never sure of his salvation. It was a constant struggle. He constantly wrestled with it. In the book, Faith Alone, R.C. Sproul writes this about Luther. In his early monastic life, Luther was anything but spiritually steady. It is a matter of record that Luther suffered uncommon anguish as he sought desperately for peace in his soul. From his own writings, Luther said, quote, My situation was that, although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience. And I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. In other words, no assurance. Why? Why? Do you you see the link? Because he thought he had to earn it. Listen, if you think you got to earn it, if you think you got to do anything... To be saved. What's ever good enough? Where's the line? Th- there is no line. You, you never can do enough. And that's what Luther was battling in, battling with. I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. And, that, and guess what? Our merit won't assuage him. <laughs> And Luther, because of that, was never, never, before he was born again, never had the assurance of his salvation. He goes on, therefore, and and this is the result. He said, therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. As we've already said, Luther became a monk. When he was knocked from his horse by a bolt of lightning, and that began at that time his efforts to earn his salvation through rigid monastic living. If you've ever read any of the biographies of Luther, they're they're really interesting. I mean, he would do crazy things. He would lay out in the cold without any clothes on. You know, self-flagellation. He would. He would spend hours in the confessional booth so much so that one of his superiors finally said, Brother Martin, come back when you've got something worthwhile to confess. He would confess the minutest little things. And that's what happens when you think you have to save yourself. I'm so thankful for the Word of God this morning. And Luther spent his pre-Reformation days, trying to please this righteous God that he sometimes hated. Dr. Sproul continues in his book talking about Luther. His personal odyssey of faith reached its nadir during his pilgrimage to Rome. There he was shaken to the depths by the unbridled corruption he witnessed among the Roman clergy. It is reported that after he reached the top of the stairs of the Scala Sancta. These were these stairs that supposedly were the stairs that uh, Jesus climbed when he went up to Pilate. And supposedly they were like artifacts. They were taken to Rome. And you could earn indulgence, earn forgiveness by going up those stairs on your knees at each step saying an Our Father or a Hail Mary. And Luther had done that, and when he reached the top of those stairs, he whispered to himself, who knows whether all this is true? Definitely no assurance in the life of Luther. But hallelujah, the Bible teaches that we can know and we can be sure. 1 John 5, verses 11 to 13. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I brought my, brought my trusted confession with me this morning. I wanted to, don't normally do this, but I wanted to read to you what our confession states about this in the 1689 um, chapter 18 on assurance of grace and salvation. First paragraph. Temporary believers and other unregenerate people. Now, that's interesting. That connects with Mark's reading uh, this morning. morning. Temporary believers. That would be the people that Mark read about in John 2 who believed in Jesus, but Jesus knew they really didn't believe. He knew what was in them, and he would not entrust himself to them. They just were responding to his miracles. They were temporary believers. They were phony Believers. They were believers that would not stick, they would not last. Temporary believers and other unregenerate people may deceive themselves in vain with false hopes and fleshly presumptions that they have God's favor and salvation, but their hope will perish. Yet those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love Him sincerely, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before Him, may be certainly assured in this life. That they are in a state of grace. They may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And this hope will never make them ashamed. And then second paragraph. This certainty is not merely an inconclusive or likely persuasion based on a fallible hope. It is an infallible assurance of faith founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel. It is also built on the inward evidence of those graces of the spirit about which promises are made. It is further based on the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God. As a fruit of this assurance, our hearts are kept both humble and holy. So as believers in the word of God, we believe you can have assurance. We believe it because the Bible says so. And Peter tells us to confirm this assurance. To take great pains to make sure that you are part of the elect. Last time we finished with these two quotes from Dr. Sproul. The most important question you need answered in your lifetime is this. Am I numbered among the, the elect? We say amen to that. That is one of the most important questions to deal with. Charles Spurgeon said, Let it not continue a subject of question with you. Am I the Lord's or am I not? Am I called by grace? Am I chosen by God or am I not? Make these things sure beyond all doubt. In other words, confirm your calling and election. Make your calling and election sure. Make sure you belong to God be confident in your standing before God Peter says we must be all the more diligent to do this that term that phrase points to an eagerness to do something we must we should be eager to do this it points to doing something quickly don't put this off make this a priority Don't mess around with this. This is serious. In other words, confirming our election, making certain we are saved, being confident we belong to God should be a priority of our life. Because God wants us to be unwavering in our faith. He wants us to be secure and stable. And that's difficult when you're doubting your salvation. Oh, what a a drag on our, our living for the glory of God if we're not even sure we belong to Him. Last week, Pastor Ryan dealt with the subject of anxiety from Matthew 6. Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount not to be anxious and not to worry. And let me tell you, based on this text this morning, One very important thing that God doesn't want us worrying about is our salvation. He doesn't want us worrying about that. He doesn't want us to be anxious about that. He wants us to be confident in it. He wants us to to be rock solid, to be stable and secure. So how are we going to do that? Why is gaining assurance sometimes difficult for true believers. Well, let's, let's hit that really quick and let me, let me suggest some things, some obstacles that hinder assurance, okay? First, there might be a misunderstanding of the gospel. A, a person is not familiar with the solas. They don't understand that Jesus paid it all, okay? But they think it's some kind of 99%, 1% deal. Now, I wonder why they would ever think that. Well, when famous people say that, they tend to think that, okay? God's done 99% of it, but you've got to do this last 1%. Well, that's a misunderstanding of the gospel. And you begin to wonder, how much is the 1%? What does the 1% include? Have I done the one, enough of the 1%? And that leads to a lack of assurance. There might be straightforward unbiblical teaching, Okay. That could lead to a lack of assurance or seeking experiences that are not promised like miraculous signs. Uh, Unless you speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. So therefore, you're not saved or, uh, well, God didn't heal me. So he must not love me. He must, I must not be saved. Okay. Those experiences are not promised. To every believer, so believing that they are can lead to doubts and sure, I, I've seen young people from way way back, from, as a youth pastor, walk away from the faith because God didn't heal their grandmother when some other group promised them He would. That can lead to lack of assurance or thinking you always have to feel saved. Do you ever have days where you don't feel saved? All the time, I mean, about every day maybe. But anyway, no, feelings have nothing to do with it. Truth has everything to do with it. Doesn't matter how you feel, okay? What has God said about your salvation? Or maybe I've heard somebody one time at a, I think at a youth rally many, many years ago, uh, some speaker saying, okay, When were you saved? Oh, you don't know the date. If you don't know the date, then it didn't happen to you. Okay, where where is that in the Bible? Okay. Uncertainty regarding the date of your salvation. If you think that's vital, then that can lead to doubts. Oh, maybe it didn't happen to me. Have, Have you ever noticed this? When talking about assurance and talking about the reality of salvation, the Bible never... Never, ever points to a past event to validate a person's salvation. Never. It always talks about what is happening now. It's always in the present. Okay. Are you supplementing your faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and brotherly affection and love are you demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit? Are you loving and joyful and thankful? You know, it's always in the now. The Bible never points to a past event to verify your salvation. Now, if you know the past, that's great. That's great. Write it in your Bible, cross-stitch it, put it on the wall, do whatever you want to with it. But that's not the proof of your salvation, That's not the proof of your salvation. The proof of your salvation is, how are you living right now? And there's a lot of people that are going to bust hell wide open who are counting on the fact that they prayed a prayer or walked an aisle 30 or 40 years ago, but never had a change of life. So please, beloved, no. No, the proof of our salvation is, what are we doing now? What's happening now, right now? Okay, never in the past. And then finally, another thing that will bring about that is sin. Sin. Sin is, man. We gotta hate it. We gotta fight it. And sometimes besetting. If we've got a, a besetting sin that we're having a hard time putting down or killing or mortifying, that can come to, sometimes plant seeds of doubt. You know, well, true Christian, you know, the, the enemy comes, the enemy comes, a true Christian would never be doing this, would never be acting like this, would never be thinking like this. You know, so just n- n- know the enemy, know the attacks. You're, you're, you're never going to be perfect in this life. You know, and that doesn't mean, oh, good, I'll never be perfect, then I won't worry about it. No, you need to worry about it. You need to fight it. You need to. What does the Bible say? Put to death the deeds of the body. Mortify. Read John Owen's stuff about the mortification of sin. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. You got to fight it. You got to fight the good fight of faith. And not fighting it, that might be a sign, yeah, but not only a lack of assurance, you might not even be saved if you're not fighting it and hating it and growing in your hatred for it. But sin is always a culprit of causing people to doubt their salvation. That's why we got to fight it and put it down. But let's focus more today on the confirmations, okay? I just threw those out real quick. Those are some reasons for lack of assurance. And, and, and you take that as, and apply it to your life as need be. But let's focus today on the confirmations that strengthen our assurance. And, and most of the rest of this message, I'm just going to be reading straight Scripture to you. Okay? Not going to be a lot of comment, not going to be a lot of exposition. I'm just going to read the scriptures to you. And you, you just let the scriptures, of the word of God just wash over you. And I pray that you will leave here more assured of your salvation than you ever have been in your life. Because of what God has said about this precious gift of faith. Confirmations that strengthen assurance. First, we have the evidence of our transformed life. We've already seen our... Current text from last time. The list in verses five to seven. We, you know, we have, we're adding to our faith virtue, and we're growing in knowledge, and we're becoming more self-controlled, and we're steadfast, and we're we're growing in godliness, and we're we we love the brothers. We 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 have brotherly affection. We're gro- and these are all things we're growing in. We never arrive, right? We never. Achieve perfection, we're growing in these things, okay? And then Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit or result, the outpouring, the evidence of the Spirit, the evidence that the Spirit is indwelling us, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Are you growing in those categories, in, in those qualities? 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Well, how does that happen? Well, we're reading our Bible. We're reading our Bible. We're hearing it read. We're hearing it preached. That's how we behold the glory of the Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Being, being transformed. Progression, it's it's an ongoing active thing. It never ends on this planet. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we have the evidence of our transformed life. Secondly, we have the work of our triune Lord. The work of our triune Lord. Let's begin with the Father. We have His, the tenacious love of our gracious Father. Just listen to these texts, okay? Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, listen, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Once He gives that to you, In the person of Jesus and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, nothing, nothing, you hear that? Nothing can separate you from that. John 10, 27, 29, Jesus is speaking. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Never, never perish. You can't be in and then out. Once you're in, you're in. And you will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one, no one, not even yourself, no one is able to snatch them Out of my father's hand. You're in. You're in. You're in the father's hand. Forever. It's permanent. You will never perish. Ever. First Peter 1. Three to five. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. He has caused us. He has caused us. So He's done this. He's initiated our salvation. Okay? And we think that we have the power to overrule that? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. Imperishable. It's not going to end undefiled, it's perfect, and unfading. It won't fade away. Kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven. But not only is it kept, listen to the rest of this. Who Listen, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That last phrase is just packed with all kind of powerful stuff. Your salvation is guarded by the power of God. And and you think you're going to lose that? No way. Is there anything more powerful than God? You're not losing this. You're not losing this, dear dear believer. You're not losing this. It's guarded by the power of God. And it's ready, listen, it's ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, when the last day comes, your salvation is still going to be there. It's going to be revealed when you get your glorified body. And you see Jesus. And when you see him, you will be as he is. And guess what John tells us that does to us when we think that way? We are being purified by this thinking. We are, that's our mind back at work again. This purifies us, thinking of the end time, fixing our eyes on things above, not on things of this earth. When we see him, we'll be as him. And this purifies us. Hallelujah. You're not losing it. Philippians 1:6, Paul said, I'm sure of this. I'm confident that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So listen, if you can be saved and then lose it, Philippians 1.6 is a lie. Let's just throw the whole Bible out, okay? He will complete the work he began in you. Oh, man, we could go on and on. Let's let's move to second member of the Trinity, our risen Savior. We've seen the love of our gracious, the tenacious love, the guarding love, the omnipotent love, the love that will not let us go. Nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Then we've got the saving work of our risen Savior. First, his substitutionary sacrificial death for us described in Romans 5, verses 6 through 9. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. See the overlap? We've talked about the love of God, and that overlaps into with the work of 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 God the Son. The love of God is demonstrated or proven by the work of God the Son. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, listen now, listen carefully, we have been now justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, so again, if you can be saved... And then you can lose that and not be saved. Then you have not been saved from the wrath of God, which comes at the end of time. And Romans 5, 9 is a lie. But God doesn't lie. Oh, church family, please receive these words from God. Straight from the throne of God, straight straight from his mouth. God breathed words much more. If you've been justified by his blood, you've been saved much more. When the day of God's wrath come, you will still be saved. You will be saved from that wrath. You ain't going to hell. <laughs> you ain't got to worry about that. You're never going to hell. Wrath of God, it's history for you. You don't have to worry about it. You're in. And then the purchase of, his, of, of us by his blood, Revelation 5 9 to 10. And they sang a new song. John, John is describing this vision he gets of heaven and this great mass of, of, of beings and creatures and angels and people around the throne of God. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. Talking about Jesus. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed. You purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them, done deal, made them, made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. What earth is he talking about there? Well, most theologians say the new earth, the new heavens, new earth. They will reign rain on the earth. Now listen, listen, let's co- continue with our logical thinking here. If you can be saved and then lose it, then Revelation 5, 10 is lying because you will not reign on the earth because you lost it. But you're not going to lose it. You're not going to lose it. So if assurance is not a doctrine taught in the Bible. There's a lot of lying going on. In the Word of God, you will reign on the earth, in the new heavens and new earth, with Jesus. That's done. You can count on it. Put it in the book, write it down. It's done. And then we see Jesus' intercession as a high priest, his continuing intercession. Romans 8, verse 34 Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's constantly praying for us. He hinted at that when he talked to Peter. Peter said, Jesus, you're not going to die. Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. You're, You're thinking like men. And then he said, I prayed for you, Peter, that when you turn, you will encourage your brothers. Jesus already knew what Peter was going to do. Why? Because Peter was in his hand. He wasn't going to lose it. Even though, he had, even though he taught like a lost man temporarily, he wasn't a lost man. He's not going to lose that. He's not going to lose it. Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for us. He's praying that we will live the life of, that will glorify God. He's praying that, that we will make it to the end. Does Jesus' prayers ever not get answered? No, he's the perfect one. He knows how to pray according to God's will perfectly. His prayers will always be answered. Listen to, listen to this. Hebrews 7 nails it, 23 to 25. The former priest were many in number. Why? Because they were always dying off (laughs) because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So you had had to have a bunch of priests under the old covenant because they were human and they would die and they wouldn't be there anymore. But he, talking about Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, important word, Fancy word for, as a result, he, now please don't miss this, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost, or completely, completely, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Man. You think Jesus, you think there's ever going to come a day in heaven where Jesus is standing up there with all the believers that made it to heaven and say, Boy, I'm really sorry old Butch didn't make it. I prayed for him all the time. I I was prayed for him every day, constantly, but he just didn't make it. No, Jesus is never going to say anything like that, ever. Ever. God has saved us. And he's keeping us. He will keep us. Jesus is praying that constantly. He always lives to make intercession for them. And he is able to save to the uttermost. Hallelujah. Well, real quick, the Spirit, the affirming ministry of our indwelling Spirit. We've seen the Father's actions, the Son's actions. To keep us. How about the Spirit? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that at the tent that is our earthly home, what's he talking about there? Our body, our physical body. The tent that is our earthly home. Okay. Some of us really got some of us have really got tall, tight tents. Some of us got really saggy tents, but there it is, you know, there are tents, the tent that is our earthly home. When it's destroyed, Guess what? We have a building from God. A house not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. And then verse 5 says this. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The word can also mean, the Greek uh, mean a deposit. You know, when you put a deposit down on a home or something, that's a, you're making a promise that you're going to complete the deal. Now, of course, the human analogy breaks down so because some people, they pay the deposit and they find out they can't afford it. So the human analogy, of course, breaks down. But the idea is a deposit is put which is a promise that the deal is going to be complete. God has put the down payment of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Promising what Philippians 1.6 said. That he will complete the work that he began in us. The Spirit is our Guarantee. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Beloved, this is going to happen You will acquire possession of your inheritance. How do you know? God gave you his spirit as a guarantee. One more on the spirit, Romans 8, 16, 17. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, capital S spirit, Holy Spirit, bears witness with our small s spirit, our soul, our inner person, the real us. And as a Christian, the new us, okay, that we are children of God. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs, we're going to receive something in the future. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. (laughs) That's going to happen. We're not, it's not. there's never going to be a scenario where we're all standing up there in heaven with Jesus, joint heirs with him and Jesus looking down both sides and saying oh man, I'm so sorry so and so didn't make it or I'm so sorry Sally didn't make it I'm sorry, but no, he was once in, and he, no, no, that's never going to happen we're going to all be there the Spirit guarantees that it's a guarantee it's a down payment it's a deposit paid by God All right, let's wrap it up. One more Spurgeon quote. We prize full assurance beyond all price. We count it to be a gem beyond all earthly values. We believe it to be necessary to deep joy, necessary to edification, necessary to usefulness. Amen. But necessary to salvation, we do not believe it to be. That's important because there may be some of you, even after you've heard all these verses, you're still struggling with assurance. Well, praise God, that's not a requirement for salvation. And our confession speaks to that in paragraphs 3 and 4 of chapter 18. Now, I'm not going to take time to read them because I'm already way over time. But I want you to, ever when you join, you've got a copy of the confession. If you've lost it or misplaced it, you can go online and find it, 1689. But paragraphs 3 and 4 of chapter 18 speak to... Struggles with assurance. And it's common. But we don't want it to be. Here. We don't want it to be. We want to believe God. As Sproul said, you know, it's it's more Christianity is more than just believing in God. It's believing God. And God has said nothing's going to snatch you out of his hand. God has said he's guarding your faith by his omnipotent power. God said, you are joint heir with Jesus. You're going to receive the same inheritance that his only begotten son received. It's it's done. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. You can count on it. And we want every one of you to be certain of your faith, to have the assurance, the blessed assurance that Jesus is yours. Oh, what a foretaste. Of glory divine. I'll close with this beautiful first question. Of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you've never done a reading. Through the Heidelberg Catechism. I highly recommend it. It's a great reformed uh, catechism. Question one says this. What is your only comfort. In life and death. What is your only comfort. In life. And death. Listen to this beautiful answer. That I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready to live for him. Now, isn't that the key to assurance? That last, those last few words of that answer. Willing and ready to live for him. There you go. That's the key. Has God given you that? Has God planted that desire in your heart? Then you can be certain you belong to him. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the precious gift of salvation and the added gift of assurance. I pray that every brother and sister in this local body would have that joyous assurance that they are yours. They've been bought with a price and a glorious inheritance awaits them that is imperishable, undefiled, and will never fade away, protected by the power of God until the last day. God, increase our insurance. Make us confident, stable, joyful Christians with our eyes on our Savior and who press on for your glory with no doubts about whose we are. Please work that in us, Father, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.